What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, Feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. A Hat in Time is the game for this week's episode. A Hat in Time is a 3D action platformer. And some comparable games, you're going to hear a lot of comparisons to a lot of the 3D Mario games like Galaxy and Odyssey, but also even as far back as Super Mario 64. And then some more modern things like Ratchet and Clank or Jack and Daxter. It was originally released in October of 2017 on PC and Mac. And then in... December of 2017, PS4 and Xbox One, and finally, October of 2019 on Switch. The game was developed by Gears for Breakfast, which is a Danish-based development team, but it is kind of global. I looked on their website. I think the main founder and CEO is Danish, but there are people that are working out of the U.S. and all kinds of other countries, so very interesting there, and it's about 10 to 15 people on that team, and that is pretty impressive, especially given the product, which we'll talk about. The game was published on Steam by Gears of Breakfast themselves, so big shout out to them. But when it came to consoles, it was published by Humble Bundle, and we've talked a lot about Humble Bundle. There is some DLC for this game that was released. Uh, the first was called Seal the Deal, and that was released in September of 2018. And then there was another DLC called Niakuza Metro, I think that's how you say it. And that was released in May of 2019, and both of those essentially just include new chapters with weapons and new hats and things like that, which we'll talk about. The game had physical releases. In November of 2019, it was released physically on Switch, and then in November of 2021, it was released on PS4, and both of those were published by Humble Bundle, and they included the Seal the Deal DLC. The game also had an OST vinyl soundtrack that was released, actually two volumes, both published by Yeti Records. The first one was published in January of 2020, and volume two was published in March or April of 2022, so a couple years separating them. Original MSRP of the game, digitally $29.99, but also that's the same price of the PS4 physical. Switch physical was $39.99, and the DLC... The Seal the Deal package is $4.99, and the Nyakuza Metro is $6.99. However, on PlayStation, they're actually both $4.99, so 
So keep that in mind. There is a price discrepancy there. And the original vinyl OST that was released, I don't have a price on that. That sold out like lightning. I'm actually really mad about that because I wanted, but I can't find it anywhere. But the second one, Volume 2, is currently on sale at Yeti Records for 25 bucks. so definitely jump on that. Runtime of the game, just going through the main story, doing the bare minimum, because we're going to draw a lot of comparisons to 3D Mario games like Collecting Stars, something similar. So if you just do the bare minimum, you should get through the main story probably in about nine hours. But if you really want to do all that is in this game, it could be anywhere from 15, maybe 20, maybe even close to 25 hours. And each DLC is apparently about three to five hours each. I have not played those yet. Speaking of me, I got the game on sale for $14.99 on PS4. I've put in probably close to 15 hours, somewhere between 10 and 15, but I think closer to 15. Uh, The more I play this game, the more I want to platinum it, and I want to get into that DLC. I'll have to buy those extra. I'm toying with possibly getting the physical version for PlayStation, and I'm also probably going to jump on the second volume of the OST vinyl. In terms of recommendations, I had never heard of this game, which is pretty surprising because when I finally saw it on PlayStation and on sale, definitely visually the sound and and sort of the gameplay drew me, but I had never heard of it and I kind of looked it up and uh, saw a lot of articles on it. So... Let's talk about some gameplay. So this is a 3D platformer, and we will get into some of the specifics of the controls and whatnot in a little bit. But let's start with just some general game structure. So if you're someone who is an experienced platform gamer, especially all the way back to like Super Mario, Super Mario World, uh, Super Mario Brothers, things like that, I'm going to try to be real specific with certain terms, like the words level and world and board. Um, If I happen to throw those out, I'll try to keep those consistent. But essentially the structure of the game, you start in this hub and you're going to constantly go back to this hub. And the hub is a spaceship and you're walking around. There are plenty of places inside the spaceship to go. And it's very similar to like Super Mario 64. Going into different rooms in the spaceship are going to allow you to go into different places. And those different places are going to essentially be worlds. I'm going to call them worlds, but they're essentially planets. As you progress through the game, you'll unlock different places inside the hub to go. And so what you're going to do is, when you get to these different rooms, you'll be able to go to certain levels on that planet or in that world, and you're going there to acquire a timepiece. And this is going to be a placeholder for essentially like a star or a moon in the Mario games. You'll go up to, it'll be a telescope, and you'll look at the planet, and then they'll have very specific missions that you're going to the world for. As you move forward, you'll unlock new levels. So when you beat one level, it'll open up a possibility for another one to go to. And eventually you'll start to unlock different planets or worlds to go to that have 
levels of their own. And when you go into the world in a specific level, and then you beat it and you go into another specific level, there'll be slight variations on the world. Maybe different paths will be open. Again, if you've played Super Mario 64 or Super Mario Galaxy or anything like that, shouldn't really be a surprise. Sometimes there'll be open exploration. So if you want to go back to that world and you saw something and you just want to you know, go check it out or like pick up a lot of currency, um, you can, for the most part, in these levels just openly explore. And as you go in the menu to select what level, it'll have some detail about like what you can do there. Sometimes there'll be levels that are like closed off. Sometimes there'll be like races. Sometimes there'll be like boss fights. Pretty much what you would expect from a 3D platformer like this. But once you beat that, whether it's a specific level or a specific race or a specific boss fight, you get the timepiece. And when you get the timepiece, you go back to the hub. So that cycle is, again, right out of Super Mario 64. Once you get a star, you go back, and then you have to go back in to go after another. So you can't really go for two timepieces at the same time. In terms of controls and traversal, like I said, it's a 3D platformer. So it's essentially a third-person action platformer. So you'll be moving the camera. And I've got to say, right off the bat, they allow for horizontal and vertical inversion of the camera. That might not mean anything to you, but I'm telling you it means everything to me. If I'm playing a third-person game, I got to invert both axes. I just got to. Because if I want to look to the right, I have to move the camera to the left. You might think I'm insane. That's fine. But I got to say, I do not understand when games don't put that in. It cannot be difficult. It's just a box to flip a switch, to flip axes. Again, I'm not a game developer, but it's pretty basic. So shout out to them for doing this because I've jumped into a lot of third-person games where they didn't do this and I couldn't play the game. I just couldn't play it. I will say when you're moving the camera kind of up and down, it's more of a zoom in and zoom out. like Almost like the camera kind of slides in like a J. It like scoops down at you, and then when you go back, it just kind of moves more into like a further away position. Um, but the camera also has eagle view. It doesn't call it that, but that's what I call it. Essentially, you hit a button, and it can look at whatever area you're in from like a sky-high view. Um, so it's re- really nice if like you're trying to move the camera and you can't see it, and you just quickly hit that button and it gives you a better view. So pretty good uh, camera controls here. Other than that, it should be pretty basic. You've got jumps. You've got double jumps. She can also dive. She can use a melee weapon, and she can wall climb. Like, you jump up to a wall, and she'll, like, do three or four steps. So you'll have a little bit of a gimme uh, where she can grab the ledge and get up. Um, you can also do wall jumps, so side to side. And that's something that I've seen a lot, especially in 3D Mario games. Like, you just see two walls right next to each other in a little space, and you can go hit, 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 just like that. The jump combos in this game, pretty extensive. You can go very far. So essentially, she can double jump. After she double jumps, she can dive in the air, and she kind of does like a horizontal dive where she really gets some extension. And then you can jump out of the dive. So you can really go far, especially if you're really high. And regaining that double jump, you actually regain it often. Like if you jump on an enemy or if you jump off of a wall, um, there's a lot of regain with that double jump. I would be cautious of like button mashing. Like if you're trying to jump quickly, like you do have to be methodical about that. Sometimes if you hit the second jump too quickly, like you can waste her double jump. Or I think the game is really responsive. It really builds around a pretty extensive uh, 3D platforming. The more you do it, the more you get used to it, but the game really does challenge you. Um, And like I said, you do have wall jumps, and you can go back and forth with 
infinite wall jumps, and then run up at the end. Other than that, the melee weapon, she does have an umbrella, and so you can melee enemies pretty easily. Uh, you can't melee in the air. She can only melee when she's on the ground. You can dive at enemies when you're in the air, and essentially what will happen is you'll see an icon pop up, and it's actually the same uh, button for a melee attack, but when she's in the air and you're uh, like above the enemy a certain distance, um, she'll dive at the enemy and bounce off of them and hit them, and if they're a one-hit enemy, probably kill them. But then you can double jump, like you can jump again out of that as a double jump. So again, with the double jump regain, a lot of combinations, and there's actually a trophy for uh, doing five consecutive like dive at an enemy's without touching the ground. Um, so that just shows you sort of how kinetic this can be. There's also with diving, like if you dive into a wall, she might like ricochet back. So just be aware of that. Like again, it's very responsive and the rules are very clear, but there's a lot you can do with it. I feel like, again, this is extremely extensive, extremely kinetic. And what I really like about this is that the game will test how well you can do this. It's not just like, oh, you can jump forever and get through anything. No, the game knows you can jump really far. And so it's going to combine that with some of the other gameplay elements and make it really challenging. I really felt like I was continuously challenged and impressed with this, even up until the end of the game. Uh, in terms of areas, essentially you've got the hub, and then you've got four different planets that you can go to, and then there's a fifth one where like the final thing happens for the end of the game. Uh, the hub is interesting because it's kind of just her spaceship, but also her home. So there are a lot of silly things that you can interact with. But like I said, as you unlock more, like as you get more time pieces, you'll unlock access to different worlds. But there are a lot of other things that you can also interact with at your hub. In terms of the worlds, what I really like about them is there's a lot of variation in the environments. So like you'll go to a place that's like a town you'll go to a place that's like a forest you'll go to a place and it's not just like simple biomes it's like very characteristic changes and these worlds are pretty extensive like you can go pretty far there's a lot of things to do they're very vertical and they're all vertical some are a bit more vertically centric than others but you can really get very high in all of these and these are really lived in worlds there's a lot of other NPCs, there's a lot of enemies that will go after you. There's some that won't, that are just kind of going about their day. In all of these, a lot of the game, same gameplay applies. Like you can walk and jump and wall run on just about anything, whether it's like a fence, whether it's a tree. Everything is kind of fair game. You can also swim. There are a lot of things that you'll see similarities in. Like there are a lot of trampolines. I use that loosely because sometimes the trampoline is like an umbrella, like over a table, like an umbrella, and she'll bounce on it and go far. Sometimes it'll be a mushroom that'll bounce you up. Sometimes it'll be just a platform that has a spring under it. There'll be tight ropes. Sometimes it'll be parade kind of display things that have like the triangle flags on them. And sometimes it'll be power lines, but essentially it's always the same. Like she's walking and like if you jump, it'll actually bounce her higher and higher. There are also like balloons that'll help you. You'll see them in sequence, like two or three. Whenever she jumps on a balloon, it'll pop, but it'll give her like an extra jump. You'll run into chests, some kind of mini unlock puzzles, some timed collections, which is pretty similar to like 3D Super Mario games. Like if you hit a button or you collect a coin and then you have to collect like the nine coins in sequence after. And there's also keys and unlocking doors. And all of those are pretty well spaced out and not always used exclusively the same way. 
In terms of enemies, there's some variation, but essentially it's always going to be that you have to hit them and avoid being touched by them, because if you just walk into an enemy, it'll hit you and you'll lose a health. She always has four on her health meter. In terms of bosses, like I said, these will be levels in themselves. I like these battles. They're pretty unique. Some are really tough. I did die a bunch on like the third and fourth ones. Uh, some of the mechanics are pretty challenging, and it's more than just like a three hit thing which is very Zelda and very Mario. Other than that, there are these unique and special levels. Again, sometimes it'll be like a race. Sometimes they'll be like stealth levels where you can't be seen. I don't want to kind of give away any spoilers, but there are different types of levels, and I like that it breaks it up like that. Also, you'll have time rifts, and these are things that will have to be unlocked, and you'll get notified when they appear. And there's a couple different ways you can unlock them. Sometimes you can just come across them. When they appear, you'll be notified because when you go back to the hub, it'll show you a screen where the time rift is kind of orbiting around the telescope. And you go over to that telescope, and it'll show you that there's a time rift somewhere in that world. And then you click on it, and it'll show you a picture. So it's kind of like you have to find where it is in the level. Essentially, these time rifts... When you go into a world and try to find it, once you touch it, it'll be like a platforming challenge. It'll be a mini level. And sometimes these are like world specific. If you're in the first world is Mafia Town, maybe the one there has some of the Mafia enemies in it, but it's like a little different and it's kind of like in another dimension. And then a lot of these are going to be like these floating platforms that are kind of like just white. It's like you're in the middle of nowhere. It kind of gives it like a sterile feel. But basically, these time rifts are just you doing pretty intense, short platforming challenges to get a timepiece. As you're going through some of these worlds and some of these levels, you're going to pick up currency and collectibles. So the one that you're going to see the most are these gems. They're just kind of littered, almost like jelly bean trails, just as you're walking through these levels. These are mainly going to be used to buy badges. At first, you can only equip one, and there's a pretty vague variety of them but not more than like 10 to 15. And buying badges, there's one main vendor. And anytime you go to a world, you'll probably see him in multiple locations. And some of the badges that you'll be able to buy are fairly simple, but some of them are really cool. An early one that you're going to get is like a magnet, so that anytime you're close to gems or hearts, like you, they'll just be attracted to you. One that's really cool that I like your umbrella, if you hold it after you swing it, will actually turn into a laser beam that you charge up and shoot. Um, so they're pretty extensive. I, I like some of the ones that are out there. And eventually you'll be able to equip up to three badges. Relics are going to be something else that you wind up collecting. But essentially what these are meant for, as you're collecting these, you recognize that like some of them are kind of related to each other. And as you go back to the hub you'll start to see these platforms that are basically meant for like museum displays. You can put some of your relics there. And if you put all of the ones that are in the same set on the same platform, you get a reward. Most of the time it unlocks a time rift. Coins are another version of currency that you'll get. You'll just find these kind of in the wild. In your hub, there's in one of the corners, there's like a gumball machine. And if you get three coins, you can use them and take a spin at the gumball machine. And essentially what you're going to get out of this is like cosmetic stuff, whether it's new outfit colors, like you can change the color of all of her outfits, song remixes to like play, and then um, some visual variations on some of your hats. And the last currency that you're going to get is yarn. And yarn is used to craft hats. As you get a 
piece of yarn, it'll have a very specific type. So you'll probably run into uh, the sprint hat yarn first. And essentially, if you find a specific type of yarn, that means that you are able to craft that hat. However, you need enough pieces of yarn. So anytime that you pick up a piece of yarn, it'll have a type. But if you already have that type, it'll say, oh, you can have duplicates. You'll just add it to your yarn. As you progress through the game and you craft more hats, the price of how much yarn it's going to cost to make them is going to go up. I found that just in terms of like the value of the currency, I always had around the required amount the next time I was like I got a new type of yarn to craft a new hat. Um, so I think there's some good pacing there. I never like had nowhere near enough yarn. And then let's talk about these hats. So you will probably get less than 10, somewhere between 5 and 10. I don't want to give away exact numbers or anything like that. Uh, there will be more in the DLC. But it's very Majora's Mask in this way because whatever hat you're wearing, there are specific moves that she can do. Some of them are more about combat. Some of them are more just passive. So the first one that you'll get is the sprint hat which if you have this hat on and you hold the button for using the hat's move, she's just able to run really fast. So this is my default favorite because I always have it on so I can get to places faster. Some will do a specific move that will have a cooldown, and there'll be like a, a small little circular meter that'll show up. Some of these are going to also have specific functions in the environment, whether it's through traversal, whether it's the context of in a level or something like that. So you'll see like markers or you'll see obvious things where it's like, oh, I need to use this here. If you don't have a hat that is like required for a certain level, it'll be locked. It'll have like a lock over the level. In terms of the hats in general, by the end of the game, I wound up using them all fairly frequently. There were a couple that when I first got, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to use this. But I think that the game does a really good job of creating challenges, specifically platform challenges that caters to the different hats. And so I really like that. And again, combine that with like the extensive normal platforming gameplay and challenges and combos that you can do. I really think that there's a lot of synergy here and it just creates great platform versatility, I feel. In terms of menus and equipment, so if you hit the pause menu, you can look at the different badges you have equipped, you can swap them out, you can change your colors for your outfit if you get more through the gumball machine. Also through the gumball machine, you can actually get those hat variations. I actually really like this. I'm somebody that likes cosmetics in games. There are certain hats that like if you get the variation, you can switch so that every time you have that hat up, it'll be this new thing that you got. Also, as you're playing through the game, you can hit a button and basically a circle menu will pop up and the game will kind of slow down a little bit and you can swap to different hats. Uh, this is very similar to like Ratchet and Clank where you're, you have like the weapon wheel or there are a lot of games that do things similarly. And I'm playing on PS4. I also found that if you hit the right or left buttons on the D-pad, you can just cycle through the hats and it actually cycles through them very quickly. And so I prefer to do it this way. If you have to swap back and forth between two hats that are pretty far away from each other, it can probably be a little frustrating, especially because you can't change the positions of where the hats are in the wheel. It's really up to your preference, but I'm glad that you can kind of do things both ways. And in terms of accessibility, there's no difficulty levels. 
but I really found that dying doesn't really have a consequence in this game. Obviously, you can get hit and you'll lose health. If you fall down a pit, you'll come back and just lose, you know, one of the four lives that you have. But if you die and lose all your life, I found that in most situations that it's just kind of putting you right back where you are. So no real issue there. I think the only impact has to do with some of the trophy challenges. And I am interested in those because I think I'm going for the platinum. Let's talk about the vibe of this game. Oh my god. If this game had cheeks, you could just punch them because it's so stinking cute. This game is marketed as just cuteness. And it is cute. And it knows that it's cute. And I think that from the very beginning, you just smile and you're just like, how, how can they do this so well? So let's talk about some of the specifics. Let's talk about the character and the story. So this main character is this girl... Essentially, what the story is, is there's this girl who flies a spaceship and something happens where there's a crash and craziness ensues. Who is she? Nobody knows. She doesn't have a name. Nobody knows her. When you interact with other NPCs, she doesn't actually speak, um, although you can sometimes hear her ambiently uh, say some things like interacting with environment and whatnot. But it's very similar to like Link in Legend of Zelda or like Paper Mario, like she'll get asked a question and she'll just like, you know, give a facial expression or like tilt her head or something like that. And it's like, nothing's happening. No one's home. It's very strange. There's a lot of tie-ins with like Dr. Who. This is like, if Dr. Who were like a nine-year-old girl, (laughs) it's essentially what it is. I mean, she's on this spaceship. They don't know who she is. They think she's an alien and the spaceship essentially houses these time pieces to keep, I would assume like the time space continuum free from whatever, but she essentially locks them in a vault to keep them safe, but she's a little kid. So there's like a gumball machine in her spaceship. There's a slide in her room. If you go, there's just this giant mound of pillows and you can walk around and there's a diving board. And if you jump on the diving board, she dives into the pillows and you're just walking around underneath the pillows. There's just so much little stuff like that. In the main room of the spaceship, there's like this Roomba that's like trying to vacuum and you can like stand in front of it and it'll hit you and it'll like, or she can stand on it and it'll start to go really slow. It's just so many little things like it's like she lives in the spaceship and she has these big responsibilities, but like she's just this kid and everything around her would suggest that she's just a kid. So I just really like the setup of this whole thing and the game really leans into it in terms of her as a character, some of her sounds and mannerisms like she's silly. She's cute. There's this fun flavor. I think if you hit a button on the D-pad, she'll just like stick her tongue out and be like, meh. Whenever she's idle, she'll do a ton of different shticks. She does all kinds of things. Uh, really silly. Also, in some of the stealth levels, when I noticed this, I laughed so hard. When you have to avoid being seen and you just stand there, like waiting, and you don't move her, she stands there with her finger as a gun 
and her other like her knee is bent like she's like 007 or something like that it's really funny um but just all of this just there's so much detail and thought into the smallest things and the smallest touches from a visual standpoint this game is super colorful in terms of just the models it's very much like a 3d mario game i think it's pretty on par with galaxy or odyssey some of the expressions are very me like like the different me's uh, that you can make on like the Wii. Some of the ambient animations, like when you hit somebody, there's like a yellow, like it's like a smack. Uh, when she's running really fast, like the dust kicks up at in like triangles. It's very like anime. And the same goes for whenever you start a chapter, like when you click it, there's like a poster that's very anime. Like it's her running from something or it's really cool. I really like the visuals there. In terms of the camera, again, big props for inverting the axes. Sometimes it can be a little tough when you're doing the 3D platforming, especially when it's like really complex where you have to go like back and forth and you have to turn it really quickly. Or if you have to do like a big jump where you're jumping down far and you're landing on like a like a telephone wire or something like that, sometimes you can't move the camera enough and like your depth perception is off. But I don't think that really speaks to having a poor camera. I feel like that speaks more to just like the platforming is so advanced. Um, but just be aware that might be something that you come across. It's certainly something that I did. From an audio perspective, this music is fantastic. Really high quality. I think this is the same level as Super Mario Odyssey, a soundtrack that I really, really loved. Big shout out to the music here. Really dig it. I like the character voices. Very great, big, comical. Uh, sound effects are also really good. Uh, the cues are very important here. Like whenever there's an air dive opportunity and that icon shows up, there's also a sound that goes off. So if you don't see the visual cue, you can hear the, the audio cue there. Whenever there's like an enemy kind of floating or hanging above you and they're going to drop down, you will also hear a cue. And also anytime you do a move with your hat, it has like a, a sound effect that goes along with it. In terms of the worlds and environments, like I said, very unique and diverse. I'm not trying to give any spoilers. The first one is Mafia Town. And so you got a lot of these mafia guys walking around. Sometimes they are doing mafia things, like beating people up. Sometimes they're like running a restaurant or something like that. And I'm really excited for the DLC worlds because they are also very different. I just feel like so much love and care and intention is in this game. There's so much that is clearly intentional. And at any point in the game, it was always exciting, always fun, and always really adventurous. Let's wrap up the conversation about A Hat in Time. I got to tell you, I was hooked in the first five minutes with the music, with the character, with the silliness, with just exploring some of the gameplay. I really think this stacks up against the newer 3D Mario games and at half the price. Now, obviously, probably half the time or even less in terms of extra content. But I really feel like, especially if you're somebody that can't put in 50, 60 hours to see everything that Super Mario Odyssey has to tell you and you just want to play a nice, fulfilling experience, I really think the quality is comparable. It's fun. It's cute. It doesn't overstay its welcome either with its cuteness. 
uh, which I think is really important. It's not just cuteness for the sake of cuteness. Like you get a vibe and a consistency from this character and this presentation. And the game also doesn't take itself too seriously, which is always, always good for me. Again, great platforming challenge. I really think that as far as you can go, as much as you can extend a combo, there's a challenge there for you to use it. The more I play, like I said, I do want to platinum this, and the further I get in this game, I could probably beat the game now, but I want to get everything. The more I see, the more I want to platinum it. And I'm not sure how it runs on the Switch, but I will say I bought the PS4 version. I'm playing it on my PS5. Some of the load times are a bit longer than I would expect. Not like a minute long, but like might be pushing it a little bit. I feel like I'm, I'm on that logo screen quite a bit. Definitely worth full price. It's a no-brainer if you see this game on sale. You gotta play it. So much character. Everyone should really play this, not just anyone who's particularly interested in 3D platformers. I think this is a good experience all around. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you. Mm-hmm.